Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole. And in this episode, we have an artist. I could call you a rapper because you can rhyme, an actress, someone who is uh, an amazing singer, though, that we have known and watched grow up in this business. Monica. How are you, Monica? I'm good. No complaints whatsoever. Shooting my video. So never uh, not working. Yeah. It's got to be so interesting for you because the bulk of your life, you've been doing this, like literally like you from College Park, Georgia, you start you were discovered at 11 years old. So like, what was that like just as a kid? Like, was that it? That's your dream? You wanted to be a singer and you just started singing? Was that the, the basis of your your start in this business? I think the ability to work at this pace in a business like this has to be something you're somewhat born with. I think it's, you hear the horror stories when oftentimes it's not really what the kid wants. It's what someone around them wants. I wake up and go to sleep singing straight up. My mother's father, Alfonso Page, the chorus, the choir was named after him. And that's actually where I started. And, you know, I'm managed by my first cousin. So it really is a family business, but it was my heart's desire. This wasn't something somebody else made me do. And I never really wanted to be famous. I wanted to be able to sing. So a lot of what you see when it comes to what one would call, I guess you say, my image, is just me being me. It's just me being authentically who I am doing stuff I want to do, loving who I want to love, going where I want to go, because the goal was never about me being some particular type of artist or personality. It was just simply about the music and me being able to sing, because that's where I found peace. So you um, actually graduated high school pretty early. So literally around that time, I always remember this about you. I think you were like 14 and you had your first single. Was it 14 when you had your first single or 15? What, what were you? 13 when the single dropped and when the album was released, I was 14. So I remember like this and like that. <laughs> and I was like every cl- I was an adult. So like you go into a club and they was rocking this song. Yeah. And those were like, your don't take it personal. And that song were like back to back. And here you are, 13, 14 year old kid. Like, what was that like for you? to A, live your dream, and you say you didn't want to be famous, but now all of a sudden, every radio station, including your hometown, is playing your music. I kept it about the music. That's the way I've navigated this entire time, Kobe. I, I just simply focus on the music. I realized that I am different in a lot of respects. I didn't get caught up in the ways of the industry. I've always lived in Atlanta, you know, had homes in other places at different times, but I just stayed rooted. I just stayed grounded. And it didn't really have an effect on me. A lot of what I've experienced in my life has been based on my own personal decisions. It's actually had nothing to do with the music industry at all. So you put your first album out and it goes like three times platinum, which is like not many artists go gold or sell a hundred thousand copies and then you were just so young and trying to figure out life so what kept you grounded because that usually would drive a kid crazy because there's so many things happening at one time my family and the fact that i never had this desire to be in the mix you know a lot of people will tell you that i'm i'm very personable but i've always done my own thing i've always had my own my friends are not My closest friends are not 
people that even aspire to do what I do. You know, so I think that is important. You know, of course, I have friends that are in the industry. I've been here so long. It's no different than if you work in an office building for 27, 28 years, you're going to know everybody in the building. But those that I'm closest to are really real everyday people. They're real moms. They're going through the everyday stuff that I'm going through. So they're talking to me very differently than a person that maybe has the accessibility to to reach whatever they want to reach. I'm talking to real everyday people on a daily basis. And that really kept me rooted. That kept me grounded. My own aspirations did the same thing. You talked about me graduating early. That was me. I wanted to do that because I felt like people assumed that because I was an artist, I didn't think that education or anything else was important. Coming from where I'm from, I wanted to be an example in more than one way. So it was my goal to be valedictorian and I reached it. It was my goal to graduate early and I reached it. It was my goal to do a lot of the things that unfortunately don't often get talked about because some of the other side of who I am tends to kind of take the forefront. Was that hard to be focused because the valedictorian that's a lot of work that goes into that and then at the same time you got a triple platinum album and you're coming out with your sophomore album so how were you able to focus and just kind of tamper down all of the other requirements of uh, basically being a star at a very young age it was tough but one thing that I i will say and i'm still this way today if it's important to me i get it done i have a problem when it's not important to me and other people are telling me that it should be important. That's when I'm not able to really focus on it. But that was something important to me. I wanted people to feel or kids to feel like they could do whatever they wanted to do and multitask and still be successful. And I was even fought for the valedictorian slot. You know, there was another student. He definitely didn't look like me. And, and he was born silver spoon. Uh, driving a Porsche to school every day. Wow. was definitely fighting me for the spot, but I did the work and I was able to walk away and say I reached a goal that was important to me. I'm still that way to this day. And I, I actually have three children that are exactly the same. Really? One is in his, his senior year. He's completely focused on his music. But if you see my son, that's an athlete. He's 14 years old. I just reposted something from Baller's Life of him. You know, his goal was to dunk. You know, whatever they set their minds to, my daughter's the same way. That is something that I believe that they were born with. Wow. So then you're 18 and you release your second album, The Boy Is Mine, and then you have a continued staggering success. So, you know, one thing about this business that I've seen, I've seen many artists that come out with their first album and that second one is just like, it's a struggle. It's hard. It's just hard to repeat greatness in anything. So you come with greatness on the second album. Did you have any concerns or fears about following up your debut album? No, I think the best part about being from where I'm from and knowing absolutely nothing about the music business is that I did not have all these preconceived notions packed into my brain. My thought was first album was great. We got to make this album even better. How do we do that? And the stars started to align themselves, I think, because I was focused strictly on the music. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I wasn't comparing one to the other. I just was like, if we did this this way the first time, let's give it a go again. I never thought about this. You got to remember, I'm the same little girl that they took into an office with Clive Davis and they asked me to sing on the stage and I decided to walk about the entire boardroom and sing in the faces of these people not having a clue who any of them were. That worked in my favor because I wasn't holding on to the hopes of 
you know, I got to reach this person or that person. I did what felt right. And that's what right. music really is. It's a universal language. And we start getting it confused when we overthink. I overthink more now than I did then. Right. Then I was on go. That's the best way I can describe it. You definitely feel like an old soul. Like uh, most kids would never under even understand that. Or even did you have a so you had no understanding the magnitude of a Clive Davis and what he had done in the music business? Did you did you know a lot about him and before that moment? You're talking about a young girl that was hanging out on the south side of Atlanta just right. before I got to that office. So right. even though my older cousins would tell me that wasn't the thing that I was most focused on. What I was most focused on was I want girls from around my way to know that we can do whatever we want to do. too. Right. You don't right. have to live in L.A. You don't have to live in New York. You don't have to come from a family filled with singers and intellectuals that are, you know, over the top about it. I'm proud of the people that raised me and reared me because it's the reason that I'm still able to be me today. So I took that in the office. Yes, they told me. But Monica, especially young Monica, did not care. And I yeah. think that's something that Clive really did love about me. I probably am responsible for some of the hair he lost over the years, too. <laughs> you know, who I loved and things I did. I remember right. the tattoo and him seeing it for the first time. He was sitting at his desk and it almost looked like when you freeze frame because he was just like, why do you do that? You know, he <laughs> understand who I was, but I still represent a very important group. Of, of young girls, especially if you're in the inner city or you're in different places that you may not have access to all of the things that some of the other people do. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I felt like I was the living proof and that was the only thing I was focused on. And then you were sort of coming on the heels of Whitney Houston, who kind of started when she was like 16, 17 years old. You're discovered singing her song um, mm -hmm. at a mall. What was that like just meeting Whitney Houston? Was that some, one of the artists that you looked up to before you just became famous or when you were a kid? Was that one of the artists that you like, man, I want to be like that artist? I absolutely looked up to her because it was it was the clarity in her voice and the confidence she sang with. She was mm -hmm. a tall, slim built woman, just like myself. Even though I was a young girl at the time, I always looked to her and felt hopeful. And then I started to learn more about her. She was from Newark. She had brothers only, just like me. There, we had a lot of things in common, but you could not have told 11 year old Monica it was impossible to be near her or to be not just a fan of hers, but one day maybe sharing her company because my family always told us that we could do anything, we could achieve anything. So I grew up believing that. So right. my cousin and I actually sneaking into the World Congress Center and getting right next to her. And I was wow. gonna try sing the greatest love of all. It was right right around the time of the Olympics. Remember when the Olympics came to- Yeah, yeah, to 96. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I got right there and, and we were. I was gonna sing, but it happened the way it was supposed to. I ended up signing to Dallas Austin. I was discovered at um, Center Stage. Right. I did this talent show because the prize was $1,000. I wanted the money. My mother was getting married the next day. So I was missing the wedding rehearsal, dinner rehearsal to actually singing this talent show. And I remember when we first got there, they were saying that you had to be 18. And I just started singing. And the lady was like, come on through. 
And I actually won that talent show. And that's where I met Kevin Wells, who in, in Dallas, Austin. And that's where my life really began to change. But again, the reason I was there was very different than what God had in store for me. So I think sometimes we we overthink, especially as adults. It was the perfect time for me to be discovered and for me to go on and eventually be signed to Rowdy, which was a subsidiary of Arista, which was where Whitney was signed to Clive Davis. And that is where our friendship and our relationship really began. Well, and also you then would, I see a a very independent spirit in you, as I see in you today as an artist, like you then have tremendous success throughout the 2000s, a great partnership with Missy. You guys made some amazing records. I mean, mean, just uh, timeless records. Uh, And then you kind of wanted to break off on your own and do your own thing. Was that something that most of your career you're with a label, right? The structure of a label. And you were one of the early bigger artists that said, no, I think I want to do this myself and control my own destiny. Was that something um, that came about out of a necessity or was it something that you just felt like, I just want to do this. Like, I don't want to be tied to a label anymore. Honestly, my contract came to an end. Mm hmm. And when it came to an end, we felt like we had learned so much already. I had a great conversation with the legend, Anita Baker, and she started explaining to me what she had done independently and why and what it was like and how much it required of her. But she pretty much was like, listen, little girl, you got it. You've been strong since you were a baby. So you're definitely capable You have the catalog, you have the history, you have the relationship with your fans. You've never lied to them or put on airs. They know who you are. Try it. And she started giving us different tools to kind of work with. And then having that family structure still in place and me knowing that I could really rely on the people that stand next to me and work with me on a daily basis. I just said, let's let's do it. It wasn't overthought. I'll say that there's no horror stories or issues that I had with the label that made me feel that way. You know, whenever I had an issue with them, I addressed them. We've never had any fallouts. I still communicate. If you look at a lot of my shows, especially when I come to New York, you'll see the people that worked my first and second and third albums still in the crowd, still participating. We even hired some of them to work commitment, which was the first independent record that I dropped. So I kept those relationships intact. I just knew that I had the the knowledge now to do it because that's really key. You can't just jump into running your business independently without the necessary knowledge and support. My support system is insanely remarkable. So those all th- all those things factored in. Well, so now you have a new album coming uh, next year, and it's been a minute since you put out a project. Talk a little bit about this uh, this new, and then you got TV show. Like you got like all of a sudden, you got all this stuff happening at one time. You love being busy, don't you? I yeah, I do. You know, I take big breaks and then I jump in really heavy. You know, yeah. I dive in the water pretty deep, and then I'll step away because my relationship with my children is is the most important thing to me. Yeah, I started having kids at twenty four. And having a relationship that can sustain itself, even when I'm on the road, it's important for them to get all of me some of the time, too. So I may take three or four years off, but then when I come back, I come back, I'm all in. Trenches, the album is now complete and is getting ready to be released, like I said, on Montanese, which is our thing, is all us. But then I also have 
a partnership with Apple Music for Motalk. Motalk is really just a safe space, just as much as I feel comfortable talking to you because yeah. I know you. There's right. never anything messy or weird. That's the same thing that I give to artists when they come and they sit and they talk with me. I talk to Jimmy Allen. I talk to Mickey Guyton. I talk to Shaquille O'Neal. There's no one particular type of person that I'm speaking to on Motalk. I just give them a safe space if they want to clear something up, if they just want to have an open forum and we talk about things you don't typically hear them talk about. That's what Motalk is. I also have Celebrity True Crime Story. That is yeah, tell a- me about that separate passion of mine, uh, something that I'm doing with VH1. We had a season before and it was titled Infamy, but we changed the title so that we could kind of dig into some of the stories about boxers and athletes and singers and baseball players. It doesn't matter. We kind of dig into some of the cases that you've heard a little bit about and some you've never heard of at all. And that's just a completely different passion of mine. So yes, I stay more than busy. Busy is I don't know what the word is beyond busy, but th- but that's what I am. So you 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 must like the ID channel. You like you like those uh, stories. That, yeah. if, you don't yeah. think a thirty five year old man lives in my bedroom? Yeah, and I'm in there by myself for the last four years. Yeah. It is literally ID channel first forty eight. These are the things that I love. They it's just what I like to watch. You know, I've worked amongst the funeral home with my family members. I, I just make sure I don't limit myself to any one thing. Right. I understanding that it's possible if you believe is something that I kept from my childhood and it's kept me kind of tapping into everything that I love. I'll be releasing my my country album Open Roads very soon as well. I can't wait to hear that. And then when you was talking to Mickey Guyton, like I'm so excited about her uh, yeah. and, and all the success she has. So like, um, I mean, you were a child of the South. So like the country music is a part of the uh, the ecosystem, not just uh, yeah. R&B music. Yeah, I grew up hanging in Gatlinburg and yeah. Pigeon Forge. My stepfather is, uh, he's a Methodist minister, but he also was a bus driver. Right. So my love for country music started as a kid, but it wasn't as accepted when I came into the music business. So now I just, I don't let any anyone tell me no, or that is not possible. Brandy Carlisle is the executive producer. So I'm taking it very serious. It's not a merge of my R&B records and country. It is a country album. Wow. Well, listen, Monica, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on a Backstory podcast. You are like just such a unique individual, and I'm glad that you shared some of your story. And uh, I look forward to, listen, I'm actually looking forward to watching this uh, mystery show. I'm curious how you put your spin on it. I'm actually curious of the cases that you're going to take on. Yeah, Um, the cases are insane this year. And then we we have a very special hour-long close someone that I know. So make sure you guys tune in on VH1 starting in January. It's going to be an incredible season. Well, thank you, Monica. New album coming next year, TV show, and Motalk. Is that up on Apple Music now or or is it started? Not yet. You guys, make sure you stay locked to all of my pages at Monica Denise, M-O-N-I-C-A-D-E-N-I-S-E. I'm going to start putting everything as I got to get better at updating. So I'll start updating, making sure all of the dates are there and Things are coming very, very soon. Well, thank you, Monica. Appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for being on the backstory. You too. Hope to see you soon. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast, Johnny Gill. I sing that song mad as hell, and I sing it with vengeance. I saw. I, I, I hear it. I hear it. I was. I said, you know what? Oh, y'all just giving me some bull. And I said, so. I said, I don't give a jack what y'all give me. I said, I just went in there, and I said, I'm a... 
I just destroyed it. I remember singing the opening line, and the next thing you know, I looked, I saw one, two, three heads, and they're looking, and everybody's looking. And they, then the next thing you know, I got the whole studio full. The Backstory Podcast with Colby Cole is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media Pod is Good production, hosted and executive produced by yours truly, Colby Cole, edited by Donkus. Follow us on Twitter at BackstoryPCC. On Instagram, get the backstory. Senior Director of Podcast Operations, Sierra Reed. For sales and corporate partnerships, Josh Romani and Michelle Marino. Digital Marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Smith, and Tim Hall. Thanks again for listening to the Backstory Podcast. <laughs>